that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, we come before you with humble hearts. Because God, you have chosen Wind Baptist Church to impact the world. You have chosen this church, your church, O oh Lord, to take the word of God, the gospel of God, beyond the walls of this building and to take it into wind and cross county and the delta and the nation of the united states and all across the world and i pray that tonight god that as we look at your word and we we see what you're doing there that god it would speak to our hearts and that we would respond to you i pray that tonight god you would call the heavenly beings you would go that's that's what my church looks like. That's what I wish more churches look like. That is a church that I will build up. And so, Father, we come before you and we submit our hearts, our minds, we submit ourselves, and we submit this church to you, that your will will be done on earth, right here at Wind Baptist Church, as it is in heaven. And in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, amen. Man. Well, guys, I have uh, been blessed today and uh, been blessed by a number of things. Uh, first of all, just by hearing some of our missionaries and the stories that have, uh, that have taken place in their own lives and of missions and being involved in missions. And, and you got to hear, if you were in the gym today, the passion about being a part of a mission and taking the gospel to the nations. Uh, you also heard about um, our faith budget, our missions offering, and we have these handouts at the doors. You maybe get gotten one when you came in, but uh, in the inside are missionaries that we support through our faith missions offering, whether it's through the cooperative program uh, to support folks like uh, Dan and Tammy and uh, others, uh, the Langstons who serve full time uh, overseas, uh, reaching um, reaching uh, foreign people for the Lord. But we also support folks like Chanson and Beverly Newborn right down here in Forest City. And we support Chris Sims and his wife Eve and their family in Casper, Wyoming, as well as Zach and Nicole Minton in, uh, in, in Spokane, Washington. And so I hope you get one of these because here's some, uh, they not only talk about what they're doing and what God's doing there in their ministry, but it's talked about how you could be praying for them. And I, I want to encourage you to grab one of these and put it where you can see it so you can be praying for them on a regular basis and on the back uh, our goal is a hundred thousand dollars next year and if we raise that then you can see how that's going to break out and how each of those areas would receive a portion of that hundred thousand dollars and so I want to encourage you to be praying about God how can we support uh, and carry on the work of missions and the people who have heard the call and answered the call of missions in, in, in Cross County I mean in, in all the way down here in the Delta across our nation and across our world. Hopefully you received one of these commitment cards as well when you came in. Because this morning, not only did you hear the, the need and the passion for folks to take the gospel uh, outside the walls of this church, but you also heard how you could get involved in supporting our missions offering. And tonight, uh, we're gonna have a time later on where you can commit to say, Mike, I don't know how that's gonna happen. All I know is that God's been putting this on my heart you could check that box and you could fill in how you can support, how you plan to support uh, our, our faith missions offering 
uh, next year. And so we're looking forward to that. Hopefully you have these. If you need these, we have some folks here that can help you. Does anybody need one of these? Let me just ask, because I don't want you to get near the end of service. Everybody's got one? Awesome. Man, that's awesome. Let me start by asking a question with you tonight. How many of you like surprises? You're like, what kind, right? Wow. Yeah, you're good. But how many of you like, you go, that's okay, whatever comes. How many of you are those people that just, you're going to live by the seat of your pants. We're just going to get in the car and go. And we'll just figure out where we're going to go. Yeah, how many of you are like me and go, that's just stupid. How many of you are like me? I want to know where we're going and what we're doing. And uh, man, I, I want to, how many of you are like me? You, your plan. I got to know a plan. Randall, me and you, we're on the same page. Yeah, I got to have a plan. You know, but, but life is full of unknowns. Like the day when Cindy, I came home from work not too long ago, and Cindy said, um, guess what? And I said, you're pregnant. And she goes, how'd you know? And I went, I just figured by the tone of your voice. And, um, you know, and, and so we did. We found out, uh, you know, not too long ago that, that she's expecting our second child. And, and a lot of people go, yeah, we're excited. But that's not their biggest unknown. I know lots of people that have lots of kids I can go to advice, but not many people have their second child when they turn 53. Yeah, that's an unknown y'all didn't know about, isn't it? Yeah, I'll let you know how that goes. But we are excited. But life is full of unknowns. And, and listen, uh, because of our situation with infertility and stuff, we weren't planning this. Because you can't plan life. And you can't plan your journey with God. And sometimes we just have to embrace the unknown. We just have to embrace the unknown. I want, I want to show you a clip from a, from a movie, a short video, but I want to set it up before I show it to you. It takes place in Alexandria, Virginia, 1971. It's the first year of integration at T.C. Williams High School and the first year that this football team is put together and integrated. And there are two main characters you see in the movie, but also in this particular scene. And one is Julius. And Julius is an African-American. He lives in the Berg. And Julius is not accepted everywhere in Alexandria. Matter of fact, there are several places he's, he's, he is absolutely rejected. But then there's Gary, and Gary's white. Gary lives on the ridge. And the way Alexandria is and some of the beliefs and some of the things that are going on, pretty much Gary can go anywhere. Man, these are two guys from two completely worlds, different worlds, that have been put together. And the school year has begun. Their football team is finding a measure of success. And then this happens. Watch with me. How many of you recognize this movie? That's one of my favorite movies. But what these guys found is... They found themselves side by side, two fierce young men, warriors that had come together to overcome personal uh, barriers like their fear of one another, their fear of the unknown. They had to come the personal barrier of their, their, what they had been taught about one another since birth. They also had to overcome some cultural barriers because, in fact, it was Alexandria, Virginia in 1971 and bigotry and racism was rampant and it was a part of the world there and desegregation and integration was at the forefront and just beginning. But because these men were able to overcome these personal barriers, they were able to overcome cultural barriers as well and together they lead a football team to go undefeated and win the state championship and rank number two in the nation. But That wasn't all. 
See, not only did they lead that football team, but because of that football team, they helped lead change in a, in a high school. And because of that, they brought an entire city together. Tonight, I wanted to look at a young man who himself had to overcome some obstacles and who had to overcome some issues in his own life and in a particular situation. I want us to look at Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And, and while he had some, some measure of, of, of success in his own life because his dad was king, he kind of had it all at his hands, he still had to deal with a dad who was crazy and he was trying to kill his best friend. He had his own obstacles to deal with. But tonight, I want us to look at a particular event in Jonathan's life when he overcame some incredible odds, these, these massive obstacles, and embraced the unknown. Because what we're going to see in Jonathan's life, it's not about the circumstances of the unknown that matter. It's about what we do with those circumstances. And we're going to see what Jonathan did with these particular circumstances in his own life. Erwin McManus, who's a pastor in California of the Mosaic Church, says this, contained within the realm of the unknown is its potential for eternal ramifications. That until we encounter the unknown, until we embrace it and, and begin living in the unknown, we will never know about those eternal ramifications because the divine potential of the unknown is unlocked in the choices that we make. And it's in the midst of embracing the unknown, that we're giving these divine opportunities, these divine moments, these moments where we get to see God and experience God and the power of His majesty. See God in His faithfulness. See God to transform lives and communities and villages and churches. And so tonight, I want us to, we're going to start a series. I'll be preaching not only tonight, but the next three uh, next two Sunday nights, and we're going to be doing a series called Embracing the Unknown, and tonight we're going to talk about what it looks like when we embrace the unknown and how to do that. And then next Sunday night, we're going to talk about why, why should we even embrace the unknown? What it, why? Who came up with that deal? And then on the 22nd, we're going to look at what does it look like when the people of God embrace the unknown? So if you have your Bibles with me, I hope that you'll turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we're going to read those first 15 verses tonight, and, um, and you can follow along in your Bibles um, with me, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, and uh, so we're going to read it, and so if you have it, follow along with me, if not, just listen. One day, Jonathan said to a young man who carried his armor, he said, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outposts. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Meanwhile, that sounds kind of like the old movies. Remember those old Western movies? Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um, meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped out on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. Among Saul's men was Ahijah, the priest, who was wearing the linen, linen ephod. Ahijah was the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Ahitub was the son of Phinehas and the grandson of Eli, the priest of the Lord, who had served at Shiloh. Now, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. And to reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Sinah. The cliff on the north 
was in front of Michmash, and, and Michmash was where the Philistines were encamped. And so there was one, one cliff in front of Michmash. That's where the Philistines were. And the one on the south was in front of Geba, and that's where the Israelites were down in that area. He said, let's go across to see these pagans. As perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many or only a few. Do what you think is best, the youth replied. I am with you completely, whatever you decide. All right then, Jonathan told him. We'll cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, hey, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to, up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, look, ha, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. Then they shouted to Jonathan, come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. For the Lord will help us defeat them. And so they climbed up using both hands and feet. And the Philistines fell back as Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them right and left. They killed about 20 men in all. And their bodies were scattered over half an acre. Suddenly panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everyone was terrified. Now what you have to know is that before Jonathan left to go and, 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 and move into embracing the unknown, he had one of two swords in the entire Israeli army. His dad had the other one. Can you imagine attacking the Philistines with only one of two weapons in the entire army? Out of 602 men, two swords, and he had 50% of them. That was it. But tonight I want to give you five actions, five steps, five things, however you want to do it, that will help you embrace the unknown. And as we move into the future as a church, as you move into the future as a family or, or just a child of God, I want to help you learn how to embrace the unknown because it's often in the unknown that we get to experience the freshness of God, the power of God, the faithfulness of God. And the first thing we do, we have to do is embrace initiative. If you have your outline in it, that's the first one. Embrace initiative. See, Jonathan did. In verse 1, he says, come on, let's go over where the Philistines have their outpost. See, Jonathan didn't wait for orders. He knew what he'd been trained to do. He knew what his calling was. His calling was to be a warrior. His calling was to be a fighter. His calling was to be a leader. He knew of God's power to accomplish through him what God could, could, could accomplish through an entire army. Because for Jonathan, nothing was impossible for God. See, that's the kind of God he knew he served. Let me ask you this. What kind of God do you serve? Do you truly believe you, you serve a God in which nothing is impossible? Because I hear people say that in church all the time. Oh, nothing's impossible with God. Well, then let me see it in your life. How much do you really trust him? Are you willing to embrace the unknown and take the initiative? You see, Saul was under the pomegranate tree in Migron. In other words, he was there captured by his fear where it was safe. He was there where a lot of people in a lot of churches these days sit week after week in their pew because they're afraid to embrace the unknown. They're afraid to embrace initiative. And it's safe right here in our classes and in our pews. And Paul, who was the king, who was supposed to be God's chosen, God who, who had been anointed by God himself, sat in fear. 
afraid. How many times have you let a moment filled with opportunity slip away? God has presented it to you. Here's a divine opportunity to share my name, to be a witness, to share a word of testimony, a word of scripture, and you and I have let it slip away because of our fear, because we were not, we were afraid to embrace initiative. Let me just give you a little secret. Embracing the unknown is about doing something. And you cannot follow God and remain in neutral. Did you understand that following is a verb, right? It's an action word. It's something you do. And you can't follow God and just stand still. You can't say, I'm a Christ follower and not follow him. Something's wrong with that picture. Am I the only one that sees a problem with that? I don't know what it was this year, but last year, 16 churches in our association didn't baptize one person. I have a problem with that, saying I follow Christ, but I'm not going to share the gospel with anybody and trust God to save people. Every moment that you and I have is priceless, it's unique, and it's unrepeatable. And within those countless moments that make up our lives, there are divine opportunities waiting for you, and they're waiting for me, choir waiting for us. I look at people who have changed the world throughout history and, and I love technology and, and the whole deal with Stephen Jobs and Bill Gates and the beginning of the computer, man, I, I love watching stuff like that. But you look at men like that and Albert Einstein and others and, and what led them, what, what common theme do you see in their life that led them to make a change that changed history? It was that they did something. Simple as that. They did something. When it comes to embracing the unknown, we have to begin by embracing initiative. Stepping out. Here's number two. You have to embrace uncertainty. You have to embrace uncertainty because as soon as we step out on faith and we began to follow God and say, God, I don't have a clue what's going to happen, but I'm going I'm to embrace, I'm going to take that step of faith then life gets really uncertain. Life gets really uncertain because we don't all know all that God's going to lead us through. Matter of fact, God, I was asking God one time, God, why don't you show us everything that we're going through so we can be prepared? I'm a planner. He said, because you would be, I'd scare the bejeebers out of you. And think about that. If God showed you all that he had planned for your life, you and I, there's many of us that wouldn't take a single step. Because we would really see what it would cost us. We would really see the sacrifice that you and I would be called to make and, and we wouldn't want to do it. But we must embrace uncertainty because Jonathan was certain about some things but at the same time he was willing to operate in the realm of uncertainty. Look with verse 6 to me. To his armor bearer he says, let's go across to those pagans. Perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win the battle whether there's many warriors or only a few. He was saying, hey, let's go pick a fight, eh, and maybe God will give us the victory. Now, he wasn't doubting God's power to give them a victory. It's not like, well, if God is God, well, then maybe he'll help us. No, what he was saying is, if that's God's will, then, then he'll give us the victory. But I know God has the power to provide it. What he did know for certain was that God was powerful enough to get the job done. That it didn't matter if it was two of them or a hundred of them. That God 
could provide the victory. Let me ask you this. Do you believe God can provide you the victory even in certain times? Do you really believe that? See, I understand when I read Jonathan, I read his life, that the odds were irrelevant to God. And if you're like me, I like to figure out the odds. I want to eliminate the risk. And, and, and that, in Jonathan's mind, says, God doesn't care about the risk. He can give me the victory if that's his will. And in this, in this embracing the uncertainty, we have what I call the Jonathan factor. And it's when you and I have absolute confidence of God in the midst of uncertainty. And yet we're still willing to move forward with God without any guarantee of success. Do you have absolute confidence in God and that you're willing to move forward with him even if you don't know what the future holds? Our missionaries do. Do you? See, one of the things, the wonderful things about living in the realm of uncertainty is that you will find that the journey with God is full of surprises. Here's another thing you'll find. God is enough. God is enough. Let me ask you this. Is God enough for you tonight? If he says, I want you to go to Zambia, I want you to go to Vancouver, I want you to go to Casper, is that enough for you tonight? Or are you going to go to, oh no God, I need three more affirmations. I need you to write it on the, on the garage door and then provide me for a new garage door. Then I'll go. If God calls you, is that enough? Because God's enough. Here's the third thing we're going to have to do. We're going to have to embrace influence. We're going to have to embrace influence. See, Jonathan had a keen sense of his sphere of influence. How many did Jonathan influence in going and attacking the Philistines? It's not a trick math. It's not one of those uh, core math problems or whatever they call it. How many people went with him? One. Yeah, not a trick question. One. See, I don't need a group. I just need one. Who is it that God's been using to talk to you tonight and say, hey, I need you to go and help us start a Bible study in a community or in an apartment complex or, or help us plant a church in the Delta? Who's God using to influence you? He only needs one. See, Jonathan knew that. He went to his armor bearer and he says, come on, come and go with me. Maybe God will give us a victory. And what did his armor bearer say? Come on, man, I'm with you heart and soul. I'm with you heart and soul. See, we have been created with the capacity to influence and be influenced. You have the capacity to influence others and say, come on with me. This morning, how many of you may have been, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you were influenced when you heard the passion and the commitment and the willingness to go and lead by our, by our mission leaders? In your heart, you went, man, that's awesome. I'd go with them anywhere. Some of them are asking you, hey, why don't you come with us? Oh, I don't know. Really? You do know that God has told you to go until he says no, right? Because the Great Commission doesn't say, hang out here until I tell you it's okay to go. The very first word in Matthew 28, 19 is what, choir? Go. It's go. What is it, church? Go. Man, y'all act like, you're like, oh, shoot, it's a go. Y'all not excited about going for Jesus? Holy moly. I told you I'd get that in tonight somehow. They helped me. Come on, man, it's go. God's called you to go, and so you go until he tells you no. 
You don't have to ask God's permission to go and make disciples. He's already given it to you. I'm going to help you. Matthew 28, 19. Write that down. The very first word is go. If you need confirmation, you can read it. But many of you know that passage better than I do. God has called us to go. We need to embrace influence. And God may use somebody in your life right now, tonight, this weekend, to influence you to be going somewhere to take the gospel and make disciples. Embrace influence. Number four, embrace risk. Embrace risk. Jonathan took a risk. In verse 8, he says, he says man, we're going to cross over and we're going to let them see us. Now, if you're any kind of have military strategy in your mind, that's the last thing you do when you're two versus a thousand. Normally, you use the cover of darkness, the element of surprise. You, you ambush them. You do something to, to make their size smaller. But that's not what Jonathan did. He made himself visible. And when you embrace risk, it takes you from the invisible to the visible. Here's how I know that. Because you can't steal second with your foot on first. Anybody play baseball? Anybody try that? That's a long way to go. Only my brother who's 6'7 could probably make that climb. I, I, there's no way I could. Listen, you can't get the second. I just watched the World Series. Man, it was great. Man, Kansas City deserves to win. Man, they were awesome. I loved the way they played. They played hard, stealing bases. But those guys couldn't steal bases with their foot on first. And yes, there's a risk they may get thrown out. Sure. But it's a risk they're willing to take to get the runner in scoring position. Yeah, there's risk when we go overseas. There's risk when we go to Casper, Wyoming, where, you know, 550 Southern Baptists out of 84,000 people exist. That's a risk. Our missionaries took risk. The Shacklefers, the Langsons, others have, have uprooted from their families. They have left the comfort of home. And, and as we found out from, uh, from Zach, even Sweet Tea, uh, to go to places that you and I just go for a week. And they're not near family. They don't get to come home and spend Christmas and say, we'll be there Christmas or Thanksgiving. They're there. They have left the comfort of home. They have left their church. They have left their neighbors. They have left the comfort of jobs. And they have uprooted their families and gone where God has led them. And now they're a blessing. They took a risk. This morning, some of you heard Chris and uh, Sims and, and Eve Sims' story where, where they had teenage daughters and they were at a very successful church in Batesville and what we would consider successful and, and just felt God lead them there. And can you imagine having teenage daughters and saying, you've got to leave all your friends, your favorite teachers, and oh, by the way, you're going to get to start all over in a place that really isn't really Christian friendly. Good luck. And yet their entire family left and planted and are serving and in very much involved in evangelism in Casper, Wyoming. Matter of fact, they're about to see their second Mormon family worship the true Jesus Christ. Yeah, that ain't happening unless somebody takes a risk. You heard about Zach Minton and Nicole when she was eight months pregnant driving four days to Casper, Wyoming. Man, some of us ain't leaving home for, for the first, you know, we ain't leaving home for all that time. Much less wait till eight months and go, oh, by the way. Because I asked him, I said, y'all going to wait till the baby's born? Uh-uh. Man, there's lost people who need Jesus. I asked him, I said, why are you going to, Ka why are you going to Spokane, Zach? He says, because there's lost people who need, who need to know about Jesus. 
and God's called us there. And they uprooted their family, took Isaac, Lillian, who has never tasted sweet tea, that poor thing. And they ha- they're planted there, man. They just started a whole other church. Is there a second church they've started? And they, and they got 71 people. They just baptized their drummer. Is that not the coolest thing? Their drummer is now following Jesus, who just answered an ad in Craigslist to come play for them because they needed a drummer. And that's who God's leading to them day in and day out. There's people who are lost and need Jesus. And that wouldn't happen if they hadn't taken the risk to transplant their family. What about you? What's God calling you to risk? Where's he calling you to go? We can't live for God without embracing the risk of following God. Number five. Number five, we need to embrace advancement. We need to embrace advancement. There is a place in our journey with God where there is no neutral. Either we're going to go back or we're going to go forward. We're going to be left behind or we're going to go forward with him. Jonathan stood at that same place when they called down to him, do I go back? Do I stay here? What do I do? And what does it say he does? He says, if they say to us, wait here until they come, then uh, we'll stay here. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up. Because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And, and what did they say? He goes, hey dudes. And they go, oh hey, look at those Israelites. They're finally coming out of their holes, little cowards. Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. And look what Jonathan says, Jonathan says in verse 12. Come on, climb right behind me. Come on, let's go up. Yeah, there's only two of us, but God has given us the victory. He's gonna, that's the sign he's going to give them into our hands. Come on. And they climb up them with hands and feet climbing all the way up. And it says they killed about 20 men in all. Their bodies scattered over a half a mile or half an acre. And then panic broke out among the Philistines. And, and God gives them this incredible victory because Jonathan was willing to embrace advancement and go in the name of God. What about you? Are you still sitting in, you can't sit in neutral. If you're not following God, you're going backwards. Where's he calling you? Where's he asking you to advance the gospel? Is it a family member? Is it a co-worker? Is it somewhere in the delta that we're not even aware of yet? Jonathan's plan was simply to serve a God who was more ready to act on his behalf. And so he embraced advancement. You know, I started out by saying that life is full of unknowns, and and I can tell you that it is. Yet there's a lot of you who have embraced the unknown sitting right here. But God asked, who will go? Who will embrace the unknown for me?